Welcome to Maximum Octane and your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution in the automotive industry. I'm your host, Kim Hickey, former shop owner turned industry educator, speaker, and entrepreneurial motivator. Each week during our ride together, you will hear unfiltered stories of inspiration and transformation shared by successful business owners and CEOs. Their experiences will motivate you to do things you never thought possible, encourage you to reach your full potential, and help you to exchange unproductive habits for productive ones. While many of my guests will be related to the automotive industry, it's crucial in the world of tomorrow that we stop being silos and we open our minds to ideas and inspiration from other industries as well. We also know that to be truly successful in business, you must have a healthy work and home life balance. All of my guests are handpicked with these crucial elements in mind. Our industry is evolving by the second, and we need to as well. Buckle up, because here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Maximum Octane. This week, I am very happy to have a special guest, Mr. Scott Brown with me. He is the owner and operator of a new business, which you'll have to check out. The website will be on the show notes of Get Level 5 Solutions. And so you'll be able to find that at getlevel5solutions.com. And then also Cardinal Show Plaza. And so one of the reasons that I asked Mr. Brown to come on today is not only is he very innovative with his businesses and thinking, I hate that overused expression out of the box, but, you know, Scott, you truly are a solution person. You know, if there's not enough hours in a day, you create them somehow. I mean, you just, you find solutions for everything that just is so inspiring. And just, I'm so in awe of that because you don't let anything stop you. And so part of why you're able to do this is the team that you have built and how you have empowered them over the years, because without a great solid team, It's pretty hard to be an entrepreneur and be able to be a visionary if you don't have the the boots on the ground, right, to implement those things. So I wanted to chat with you a little bit today about empowering your team. So thank you for joining me today. Awesome. Thank you, Kim, for having me on. It's it's always great to talk with you. You know, Cardinal has always been a, a really successful shop, especially when you look at it from the outside. You know, our reputation was always strong and clients were happy and we've had great people for their entire careers. But the problem was that running that particular shop was exhausting. You know, controlling everything from the top down is doable, but it's not sustainable, you know, in any sort of long term. And, you know, what the problem is, you know, really it was a trust issue. And if so, if I'm responsible for every decision and every purchase and every hire, in every policy, then I'm accountable for all of that. <laughs> and, you know, at some point I realized, you know, it, it only took me, you know, half a century, but that the world really can't be predicted. It can't be controlled. And trying to have a job description for every person and an SOP for whatever is going to come up, I consider that to be a loser's game. And so I wanted to find another way. And for me, totally decentralizing the business model and empowering my team was the way. And if you want, if you're here expecting, you know, the same old shop, my shop is different than any other shop that you'll ever find. And so it may frustrate some people because I think I will probably tell you some things that you may not have thought of or may not even agree with. And so I'm just going to say, these are the things that work for me at my shop. 
So, you know, there's already people saying, what? You don't need SOPs? You don't want a job description? Is He's crazy. I don't have a job description. I don't have SOPs. I don't even have an employee handbook. And uh, consult your lawyer before you. There's no <laughs> legal advice or whatever. the book Is this that thing? Don't do this at home, kids. But maybe. <laughs> but yeah, but my but my goal is to empower the team as individuals and to decentralize the entire organization. And I really do encourage your listeners to think about everything about how and why you do things. One of the things that I did was, you know, I explained to the people that that work for me, the team, that they don't actually work for me. We all work for our client. And then recently I've been doing some some, some research, you know, trying to decide you know, the best ways to allocate capital. And I decided to do a dive into the most successful CEOs of the past 70 years. And guys like that you may not have heard of, like Henry Singleton and Tom Murphy and Peter Thiel from PayPal and Bill Anders from General Dynamics. Tom Murphy is Capital Cities, which, you know, he ended up owning ABC and ESPN and all those sort of things. And it was neat because all of them agree, well, with, well they're older than me. I guess I agree with them. They have... <laughs> They have extremely decentralized their management and, you know, try to have lower overhead and, um, and, and then work from there. But my goal is always to have the team all be pulling in the same direction. So we want to maximize the strategic alignment at the same time, minimize all the red tape in between the people. And it's crazy because the, everything's so uncertain, you know, with the pandemic and, and everything else and, and everything's volatile in these things can force, you know, if you're not careful back into like the old controlling ways of the past, the top-down ways. We manage, and a lot of this, honestly, I learned through ATI, uh, based on a, a rigid set of values that I use like guideposts. And so long as any member of my team doesn't violate any of our three guideposts or any of our promises that we make to the customer, they will never be in trouble. So my goal, it's not... Empowerment isn't so much about something that I give to them. It's about something that I was just thinking about this when I was preparing to talk to you. It's about something that I take away from them. And that's the fear of failure. And, um, you know, so I want those guys just to work courageously. And, um, and believe it or not, that's a, that's a learned skill, but it's also a contagious skill. And so, you know, our guideposts are that we want to make our clients' lives easier. Customer comes first team second, and the individual third. And then the third one, which is really our overarching mantra, is to be grateful for everything and entitled to nothing. So as long as we're you know, firmly in those guideposts, those are our guardrails, uh, there's nothing they can do that, that's going to get them into trouble. You know, people talk about who we are, you know, or, you know, how do I attract my guys? Because honestly, I don't have any trouble attracting employees. We typically have dozens, used to be 50 or 60, but now it's like dozens that apply every time that I have an opening. I don't think I've had to post an opening in forever, but we, we're always, we're looking for grinders, you know, guys that are happy, you know, when the work gets hard, not that they're not superstars, but I'm not out hunting for an ATEC. I'll, I'll, I'll turn them into, I'll turn them into ATEX and then we'll put them down at the, uh, the uh, solution shop. But it's not that they're not superstars. They are but they're grinders first. And, you know, so I keep talking about, and you can break in any time, but uh, otherwise we'll run out of stuff that I prepared, but, but we're talking about decentralization 
And all that is to me, and it's different in different industries, but it's just the way my business model is organized, all the daily operations and all of the decisions that happen, I push them as far down into the organization as I can. They'll go all, you know, because it frees up me and Chris and the, the managers to make more major, you know, business changing decisions. So let's let's talk about that for a moment because okay. I know there's probably people like stressing out right now listening, like, oh, I just put all the decisions and I decentralized, you know, management and everybody, you know, is running around. I'm sure they're thinking like just running amok and doing whatever. <laughs> They want to do so. So when you talk about putting those those guide rails around them, I mean, there has to be some kind of a can they make a, you know, give a customer a refund or, you know, what kind of things are we talking about that they have autonomy that they can just do because they say, is this good for these three pillars or, or pieces? Yeah, they can actually do all those things. They can they can make a refund. They can do you have authorize. a dollar amount? So let's just take that piece for a minute. So do you have a dollar amount that without anyone else's approval, you can make refunds up to five hundred dollars or thousand dollars or whatever it is, or you just leave it completely open? We leave it open because as soon as you put rules in, then all of a sudden I'm putting my own judgment and my own values in place of theirs. There's a, there's a, there's a concept. It's kind of the way that we've always done it in the past. We've got thinkers on one side, that's your service advisor, that's your owner, that's your comptroller, whoever you have up there making decisions. And none of them are in operations. Those are not the guys actually doing the work. So then you got the workers and they're the guys that are changing the oil and answering the phone and driving customers home and changing tires. And, And those guys are the workers. Are we going to say those guys are so dumb that they can't think for themselves? We've got to have the service advisor to think <laughs> for the guy in the base. Of course not. That's absurd. You know, are no, we going to say oh, for you? I'm thinking I, about like that Seinfeld Seinfeld episode with the soup. No thinking for you. Yeah, no soup. <laughs> no, no soup for you. <laughs> no soup for you. But it, it's a uh, and it's the same thing. Let's it, let's say we 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 had a uh, mistake and that happens. It happens in my shop. It happens at everybody's shop. And a customer is unhappy. The service advisor or whoever's talking to him can do whatever it takes to make that guy happy. And sometimes it's a refund. Sometimes it's an explanation. Sometimes it's, hey, I've got to turn you over to Chris. He's not going to be here till tomorrow morning. Where can he reach you? Uh, Because they may not have all the answers, but they're able to. Yeah. And as long as they're doing those things. I'm never going to get upset with them. We'll, we'll talk about it later. I even have several of the guys, not every single person in the employee, but there are at least three or four credit cards that I've got floating around with the technicians or with the light service guys or with the service advisors so they can buy what they need without having to get approval from me. And the neat thing is they are so much better stewards of my money than I am. Uh, <laughs> every once in a while, you know, we, 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 and then we'll talk about it after they make a purchase and something goes wrong. Cause I think I was on another podcast and I, and it, this had just happened and we had bought a scan tool that we already owned, you know, just because they didn't realize. And, and so we had to work on our communication a little bit so that on a, on a purchase like that, it, you know, and it all works out. I mean, it's a, um, the new tools more updated than the old tool or, or whatever. It, it's just, it was, I thought it was a funny thing. 
you know, and yeah, so I mean, and either you're going to do this or you're not going to do it. But honestly, the guys that we have working for us and girls that we have working for us, we have both, are so much better equipped. And this is probably a good point I can talk about. And this is a kind of a neat concept that, that, that I've been thinking about and um, honestly haven't even 100% introduced it to my team. Uh, we're doing it in practice, but now I'm going to do it in words because I had to come up with words for our, for our discussion today. <laughs> and that's defaults versus standards. So if you've got a standard in your office, like an SOP, a standard operating procedure, that'd be your set of practices, your methods, your tools, your products that you use to complete a certain task. And I've got no problem with that. But the problem when you have a standard is that you're going to want to enforce that standard. And that's going to be counterproductive. And the reason why, I mean, standards are great. They give you a proven, a reliable way to get a particular job done. But the problem is they undermine judgment and initiative among your team. So instead of enforcing the standards, I'm thinking of them more as like a default. So you've got a new employee because we hire all our employees 17, 18 years old, and then we, we develop them up. Well, they're going to need that default at the beginning, you know, until they've achieved mastery of a, you know, a particular process or a particular repair or a maintenance thing. But then all of a sudden, hey, they can't, you know, if you've never done something, doing it the way that you're trained, that makes sense. But once you're a master, that's when they should feel free to think outside the box and maybe come up with a new way to do that same repair that's going to be a little quicker, a little easier, a little more reliable. And then all of a sudden, so your standard has changed, your default has changed. And so, you know, you've got to give them freedom, you know, to, to do that. And honestly, freedom to make mistakes. And so a lot of times, you know, when this process is going on with a new employee, you know, it may take hour and a half, 90 minutes to do a 15 or 20 minute job as they're learning, as they're working down that learning curve. But then all of a sudden, that 20-minute job is taking 12 minutes because, you know, they've, they've taken all those things that we taught them, and now they've put their own individual brain to the job, and they, they've come up with a better way. And that's how we, you know, we talk in our team. You know, we have to have certain words, language that we all agree on, and that's the only way that you can do this. You have to be able to talk to your team. And if I say leadership or responsibility or mental toughness, they all have to know exactly what we all have. We define those words together. And one of the words we define is constant performance improvement. And that is um, how you get your performance improvement. It's not from me saying, hey, I got this new tool. Let's, let's do this this way. And that happens sometimes. And I'd say usually most of our failures come from me. And honestly, most of the successes, almost all of them, you know, come from the team, you know, and then we celebrate that guy. Hey, way to go, Jason. You thought of a new, of a, uh, you know, a new way to do this. New way to do something. And, you know, it can be something, you know, super mundane, but, um, you know, but they're all, you know, going at it with the same attitude, again, grinding and, um, you know, trying to come up with new things. And we give them the freedom to do that. And we give them the freedom to fail. Obviously, there has to be some non-negotiables or some standards like what hours you're open or different things. How do you when you when you thought this up and you followed some of the masters in in business over the years and said, I want to try this? How did you sit down and say, 
these are the things that are going to sort of be non-negotiables or SOP that we have to stay true to. We can always discuss them, but, you know, this is the parameters for this. And then the rest of the stuff is, is all up to you. I mean, that seems like a lot. <laughs> yeah, be, being available, you know, so, you know, certainly hours of operation are, are, are a key thing. You know, so it, it's seven in the morning. We've got to be there. You know, we have certain guys come in even earlier than that in order to get the shop open. Uh, but we're a bedroom community. So, you know, our rush hour starts a little earlier than the in close suburbs. So we're here. Somebody's here at 5 a.m. Somebody's here at 6 a.m. Technicians typically start at 7. When they finish, really, that's more of a function of how the day went. You know, parts availability, authorization availability, things like that. So, you know, they, they, they will fall out at the end of the day just depending you know, upon you know, how the day's work is gone. And, and that part's kind of up to them. As far as um, you know, schedules, you know, like one of the things, you know, I try to do whatever's going to be in their best interest. So coming, you know, when we were in the pandemic, you know, I cut them into two teams. So in case there was, you know, the virus hit our shop, on one or, right? we'd only have, right. And so I paid them for all six days, but they only worked three. So I had team A and team B. And as, you know, we were coming out of that, and I wanted to bring the team back together. I'm like, hey, this is working really good. Let's go to four day weeks, and um, and keep two teams. And that would have, that honestly would have been great for the shop, the mathematics of it. And I said, but we'll only do it if everyone agrees. And it was about 70 percent. They said that would be a good idea, but it wasn't all of them. You know, so we didn't do it. So who who would what would be a reason that somebody said, Coach, put me in five days. I don't want to only be in four. You know, I think that change is, you know, and again, when you're going to something like this and you're going to, you know, listen to your team and you're going to love your team, it's a change and people don't like change. And, you know, so one thing that you have to do, you have to make sure that like when you're talking to anybody and that when you're critiquing or challenging the work, but you have to make sure that they know that you care personally about them you know, before, before you're talking about anything and certainly, you know, about anything like change, like, like I was meeting with a, uh, our insurance broker today and our health insurance is coming up and it changes almost every 12 months. And that's always a, um, it's an anxiety filled time for the team. And, you know, we're always going to do the best insurance that we can get, but you know, you're limited. There's only like six options in Virginia. I know some states only have one option, in which case there's no decision at all. But, you know, but it's a, um, but as it changes, it's not up to us. You know, it's just something that people don't like. And it's the same thing with, with this. You know, some people don't want to take a decision. You know, sometimes I'll, I will, there'll be certain people that I've never gotten a request. Hey, you know, do you think this makes a good idea? to buy this equipment. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not using that equipment. Go talk. You know, some people <laughs> will do that. Some people don't. Some people will research it. Some people, and, and it's okay because everybody's their own, you know, individual person. And, you know, so it's, um, you know, so we work with them as individuals. I mean, we know that from taking the CPP tests, you know, everyone's different. They are. And, I want to uh, circle back to something you said though, because I, sure. I want to make sure that the listeners heard it. When you split the team in two for precautionary measures with with COVID and trying to figure out the logistics of if somebody, you know, in one half of the crew were, you know, got COVID, then how would we preserve and still keep going some of it? 
you mentioned that you paid them for their regular schedule. And I want to talk about that for a moment because sometimes business owners, we talk a big game about, you know, empowering our team and putting people first and caring about, you know, our, our internal customers and, and all of that. But then when it comes down to something like that with dollars, we're like, all right, we're going to have them work three days, but we're cutting their pay. And the effect of, I bet you, you paying them for all of the days, even though they weren't there, probably put so many mulligans in your bank account for goodwill and to show them that, that you really care about them and their families and everything that's going on. I mean, just that piece of it, what, what was the reaction when you said, we're going to cut your work week in half, but I'm going to maintain your current pay schedule so that no one gets hurt by this. What what our goal was, was that whatever the, the people made in 2019, we wanted to guarantee them that amount for 2020. And I'm sure they like that. I mean, back then, everybody was scared. I was I was nervous. I was scared. Thank goodness the PPP came along. That made it really, really easy because that's exactly what that money was designed for. Right. I, I know I know there are a lot of shop owners that furloughed people or laid people off or closed their shops and still took the PPP money. And, and honestly, a lot of I, businesses, not just shop owners. A lot of no, yeah, no. I, yeah. I mean, but the shop owners are the ones I know. And, and, and honestly, you know, everyone's got to make their own decisions and and. Um, you know, I don't know that I'd have been comfortable with myself, you know, had I done that. I never really had to get to where I had to make that really, really tough decision because the PPP bailed me out. I'd made the decision and announced it before that, but um, but it really made it easier on made me. It easier. So, so I'm not going to pretend like I'm, I'm, I'm any big hero or anything, but the, but the guys worked so hard and they worked so well. And honestly, I know that that you know, we've swapped some emails about inflation. You know, I always tell my team, you know, we get we get together sometimes just to talk for a few minutes in the morning. And I tell them, this is the same thing I told them during the pandemic is I told them, don't go home and watch the news. I said, don't go home and read the newspapers. I said, unless you like to, I said, I will do all that for you. And when there's information that you need, I'll tell you, I'll tell you when it's time to worry. And we did a lot of communication within the team and um, I've never written so many emails in all my life. And I would write them <laughs> nearly daily and they would go to the, to the people that work for us and to their families and anyone else who wanted it. There were certain customers that wanted them. And I would tell them exactly, you know, what my thinking was, you know, at any particular time. So there were never any surprises for those guys. We really, really communicated well. I did the same thing. We sell gasoline, you know, when the colonial pipeline got ransomware. And I was, I did that, you know, publicly. So I would tell the people, Hey, this is what's going on. This is what it looks like supply wise. Yeah. It's time to fill up. You know, just recently we've been making arrangements for the shop. I, I think honestly, the inflation situation has got a chance to be much worse for us as shop owners than the pandemic ever was. If you can even believe that. Hopefully it's not, hopefully I'm, you know, but either way I did, talk to the guys just recently and I'm like, Hey, you know, it's time to um, start putting away, you know, two to three months worth of food in order to have food security. And we recently updated that to now the new recommendation for those guys is, you know, four to six months of food, you know, at their house, non-refrigerated that will, um, you know, allow them to be food secure. 
again, we're not panicking or anything, but I just, you know, I figured that's part of my job is to um, be, you know, the Paul Revere for these guys. We've adjusted their pay, you know, because of the inflation and things. And we have a a process that we do so that it automatically happens. Uh, and, and hopefully we're keeping up, you know, or slightly, yeah, we're just slightly behind, I think, inflation as a whole. But we have a plan and it feels a lot. So it was nice. I was able to say, hey, just like the pandemic, we're all going to pull together and nobody's getting rich. But, you know, we'll all uh, we'll all come out of this well on the other side. And, you know, so it seems like, you know, so we haven't lost anybody since the pandemic began. You know, a couple of guys went away to college, but I, I don't really consider. But nobody's left left the industry or left for another shop. And um, and uh, so that, that, that's been that's been pretty gratifying. You know, when you do things as you do and, and really put your people first, like paying them when they weren't working their full schedule or making sure that you're keeping up on what's going on in the world so that they don't have to or ensuring that they're staying whole during inflation because of increases in those things that creates such a circle of trust for lack of a better way to describe it. I mean, that that they they trust that you always have their best interests at heart. And so when you make these changes and empower them to make decisions and all of that, I think it makes a huge difference that they look at you as a model and they say, you know, Scott's always doing the right thing for us and putting us first. And so we need to do that with our customers and, you know, sort of pay it forward. And and I think that's part of like your, your success there is that there's just a, a trust and a respect and, and everything is transparent. Do you, do you feel the same? Yeah. And, and part of it is, you know, you've got to be like one of the greatest things that I ever did. And I'll, I always try to give credit. If somebody probably uh, Lee Weatherby from up from my 20 group, but they said, Hey, Scott, why are you hiring people? You know, you're, I'm not working with them. And, and I got out of the hiring business or the firing business. Honestly, we, we fired like three people in over 50 years. So that, that, that doesn't happen. But I, I had Chris and Cam sent through the hiring firing class. And now it's Chris and Dan and they just do, uh, they do a great job. And so now, you know, to identify the people that are grinders, you know, we talked about that before. It's basically, I want people, and this is all I ask for though, because remember we're hiring these people young. I want them that love the work, that love the people that they're doing the work with and that love the shop itself. And if we have those three legs of the stool, then everything else works out great. I mean, I'm able to take take a Dan and in Virginia, we have this thing called the emergency temporary standard. That was our COVID instructions. But now that's been made permanent. So now it's the permanent temporary emergency standard. And, <laughs> and he's and he's in charge of it. And he and I don't have to worry about it at all. When somebody comes in, he does the training. He does the you know, he takes care of the whatever checks we have to do. John is all on top of inventory because that's, you know, what I've given to him. And I don't have to worry about it, you know, because he worries about it for me. You know, I'll worry about current events. They take care of everything else. And, um, well, but, and, but and what, I just what love you've it. done by, by removing yourself from that equation and, and putting the, the power on, on the end user, right? Because that's one of the biggest things I think all internal customers, when they we gripe about where they work, whatever business or shop or wherever, they say, oh my gosh, you know, they only came in and put all these things in, but they're not the ones that have to implement it. You know, we, we, we go in, we 
put this stuff in and we don't think about how will the end user be affected by this. And so you're putting the power in the hands of the end user and saying, how, how does this work? What do you want to put in? You make the choice. Yeah, it's, it's what you described is kind of like a thinker doer problem. You know, when someone's coming in and imposing a standard from on top. Right. I mean, th- think about a um, you own a coffee shop and you got one barista and you got one cashier and the cashier handles the money. The barista makes the coffee. Who takes the orders? Does the cashier take the orders and then also ring them up or does the coffee maker take the order and then make the coffee or does it change when it gets busy? Maybe the coffee makers making the, you know, the bottleneck changes. Those two guys can work it out together much better than somebody in Seattle, Washington can impose a, uh, you know, any strict decision, you know, so being decentralized, it just makes sense because um, it allows the decisions to be made quicker. It allows the capital to be allocated more dynamically. It's just a, you know, maybe they decide, oh, I need a second register so I can do two at once. Well, they, they make that purchase decision. You know, you talk about there's a lot of shops or a lot of businesses and even one-on-ones are a very, very expensive thing to do. And then like a good one-on-one, you know, it's going to be, if it's providing feedback, you know, if it's offering a chance to create some collaborations or deepening a relationship, that's wonderful. That's a one-on-one. If it's politicking, it's a forum for complaining. If any other unneed met, unmet need comes up during the one-on-one, it's an inappropriate waste of money, waste of time. It's a wombat, waste of money, brains, and time. It's just, I think a lot of times those sort of things just highlight like the hidden dysfunctions in a business. You know, sometimes it's a great idea, you know, to go ahead and have a shop meeting, but they should be, I think, infrequent and they should always have a purpose. You know, you leave the ego at the door, the entire focus of any collaboration in between two employees, you know, not even including the management, but just any two employees that are working together is to get better, you know, and the work is discussed, not the workers, if that makes any sense. Oh, Um, absolutely. And in that case, you know, those are great. You can never get as much information, you know, per minute as you can during a big team meeting. During a one-on-one, you know, I, I think it's just, I think we've got to be careful. And, um, you know, another member of the 20 group, he, he had a great idea. He's like, you know, pull the Band-Aid off. You know, so you're empowering all these people. And so someone's going to come and he's complaining about a coworker during a one-on-one. And he's like, well, let's talk, let's bring that other coworker in and let's talk and get it all squared away. They don't need the owner. They don't need the manager to get those sort of things worked. They can work that out themselves and they will. Uh, if you give them a chance. And, um, you know, so I just said, you know, that's just a dysfunctional one-on-one meeting. And so, you know, so we're, we're working, we're working hard to have the meetings that we should have. And the fact that other shops are successful and have tons and tons of meetings, that doesn't mean that I want to have tons and tons of meetings. The fact that I have less meetings. Yeah. yeah, You have to know your team and you have to know what's effective for them. And when, when people have meetings just for the sake of meetings and they don't have anything really to discuss or something that's going to come out of it to just meet, to just not have anything accomplished is, is a big 
waste of time, or as you, you called a wombat for sure. And that's understanding your team and what's important to them as individuals, right? And what they need, because there are some people that need that and like that one-on-one total attention. It's just about them. And there's some people that don't need that. And you have to be aware of, of all of that for sure. And that would be a reason to have a one-on-one is if that's going to help you deepen your relationship. So if, so if that guy needs that, then by, by all means, you, you want to give the guys and girls, you know, give them whatever it is they need you know, to be successful. And it is going to be different for different people. I mean, that's a, uh, you know, if you coach a basketball team, you, you learn that right away. You know, we talked earlier about, you know, defining words and it's neat because like a lot of times that'll be what our one-on-ones are. You know, we'll say, Hey, what do you think about mental toughness? How would you define it? And the definition that we came up with as a group is it's just having the ability to have the discipline to go after the next most important thing. So if something good happens or something bad happens, being mentally tough means you put it behind you and go on to the next thing. You know, just answer the bell. Bell rings eight times, you answer it eight times. Same thing with like leadership. People have all different definitions of leadership. Our definition of leadership is to make those around you better. You know, so it's the, you know, the the ability to help them be more productive. You know, one time we were, we were doing, we were checking numbers and I tend to look at numbers more than I should uh, just because I'm always curious. And, you know, it was like, Hey, this one guy is not being as productive as the rest of the guys on the team. And I said, okay, well, how is Jason doing? How is CJ doing? How is Brian doing? These are the three guys that are around that guy. Oh, they're all lights out. They're doing amazing. And I said, why don't you watch him for a day and tell me what, and, He's helping all the people around him. So it was hurting his individual numbers, but it made the shop better. You know, so all of a sudden I realized, wow, that guy's a leader, you know, because that's and that went into our definition of that. And, you know, so it's, you know, so it's, it's more than just numbers. You know, it's, it's, you know, when it comes to having your people be empowered, you know, you're empowering them to help each other. You know, honestly, when I say I haven't had to fire very many people, the people that like us, tend to really like the things that we do. And the people that don't tend to select, you know, another place to go work. And, and honestly, that happens very rarely. It does happen, but it's, um, but for the most part, you know, the guys just do a wonderful job. I mean, I, you know, we've really been working to get younger because all of a sudden it, I had like three or four guys that been with me more than 30 years. And I was like, Oh my gosh, our shop's getting old. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so then we're, you know, my like, Chris cam, Let's, you know, let's start looking. And that's when we started hiring the very young people and, uh, and they're awesome. You know, the, uh, that's, yeah, I, I, I like my team more now than I've ever liked them. And, that is and that, fantastic. And that's, and that's really fun. Yeah. Well, wonderful. So before, before we close out uh, today, I, I need to ask you, what's an unproductive habit that you had that you exchanged for a productive one? Well, I can tell you unproductive. I am a procrastinator. And I will say that I tend to start many more projects than I finish. You know, I have got all over my desk, you know, projects that are 80% done, 90% done. And I haven't exchanged that for anything yet. So I am looking for ideas on, <laughs> uh, on, on, how, to, on how to force myself to get better. I, I know that I'm trying, you know, what I'm trying to do is to limit 
you know, the number of initiatives that we're working on at any one time. So that, you know, if I'm asking, you know, hey, Chris, I've got an idea, you know, or hey, Cam, I think we ought to try this. Um, I try to limit that. So they only have like two things they're working on at a time, you know, because I think beyond that, it seems to, and that seems to be doing a little bit better. And I'm trying to, there's this school of thought called a lean startup where, and this is kind of what we did with the level five solutions where instead of having the entire business model built out, you know, we had a couple things that we knew how to do. And so we opened up and we were doing those things. And then our entire business model has been built out over the last year, really based on interactions with, with our clients, you know, with our independent shops that use us or the collision shops or the glass shops, uh, the dealerships. And if we had waited until I had done 80% of each one of these tasks, then we still probably would not be open. <laughs> um, but I didn't realize that doing that, we did it by accident, but it's an actual real thing uh, called a lean startup, I think is, is what it's called. I think that's and, what it is. Um, so I think I'm trying to leave a little bit of my, um, I don't even know if procrastination is or just lack of follow through or, or what have you, I'm trying to leave that behind in order to, um, you know, just be more customer focused and, uh, you know, get pushed, letting them push me through the um, design process of whatever it is I'm trying to do. That is fantastic. Well, thank yeah. you so much for joining me today and, and sharing your your wealth of knowledge and experience with us. And I hope you will be back with me in, in, in the future to talk about some of the other great things you do and how you're always able to look ahead and 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 do things a little non-conventionally. So everybody stay safe, make good choices, stay inspired, and I will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maximum Optane, your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas, or you just want to be a guest on my show, I want to hear from you. You can reach me directly at mlpodcast at autotraining.net. Thanks for listening and keep seeking information everywhere that you can.